Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. 12, chapter number 12. And we're going to be looking at verse number 1. A lot of truth in this one verse, and we're going to consider it this evening. Verse number 1 of chapter number 12 of the book of Romans. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to be back with one another, uh, together around your word, together around song, together around prayer. And Lord, to do it collectively as a family. We thank you that we are a family. We're of the family of God. And we thank you for that. And we ask you, Lord, this evening, may you enable us to see the truths that you would have for us from this verse of Scripture. I pray that you would magnify yourself, that you would make yourself known through your word, that, Lord, may we may more clearly, as each and every passing day, may we more clearly see who you are. And, Lord, may we therefore glorify you for who you are. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A cartoon pictured a huge altar, if you will, uh, with many steps that were leading up to that altar. At the top of the altar, there was a priest that was holding a sword ready to slaughter and sacrifice the next sacrifice. Two guards were dragging a very resistant young person up those stairs to be the next sacrifice. Watching the young men as a bystander, there was an older man that looks to be one of the chiefs of the tribe. And he turns around and looks at the other man standing next to him. And this was his statement. The young people just don't seem to believe anything these days. <laughs> uh, I thought that was kind of comical. And perhaps when we read this verse of Scripture, perhaps that is the image that we get. Because God is calling us to do something in this verse of Scripture. Uh, you think... Why the world would? Why in the world would anyone do that? Uh, I can see giving God an hour or two on Sundays would be the the statement of some people. I could see giving God a couple hours during the weekend if there wasn't anything more important to do. Uh, 
Or I can see God giving, giving God 10% of my income so long as it doesn't interfere with everything else that I have going on. And that's kind of the mentality. Or maybe if you have some extra time, uh, you'd like when you retire, you could volunteer to do something for God. And I think we have a misunderstanding of what God's asking in this verse or what God's telling us in this verse. Uh, that verse confronts us with the question of why give yourself totally to God? Why give yourself totally to God? This, this verse begins a major section in the book of Romans. We've just finished up a section in which Paul, and, and you kind of see it throughout Paul's writings, Paul takes a period of time to have someone, someone well-grounded in doctrine before he begins to lay out the practical side of that doctrine. We saw that in the book of Ephesians when we went through the book of Ephesians. We see it here in the book of Romans. He's taken chapter 1 through chapter number 11. He's laid down specific doctrine. Now in chapter number 12 through chapter number 16, Paul is going to lay out the practical side of what he has given us in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, we find in chapter number 1 through chapter number 11, we find the overlying portion is doctrine, but we do find some practical things in chapter 1 through chapter number 11. Just as we find the overlying uh, thought and theme as Paul goes into chapter number 12, the practical side We'll still see, as we go along, we'll still see uh, some things that deal with doctrine, but it focuses mainly on the practical side. And Paul, as he begins chapter number 12, Paul says, therefore, or he says, I beseech you, therefore. Paul says, I am begging you, therefore. What is, what is he talking about? He's talking about because of everything that I have previously given you. Call into mind when we began to look at chapter number 12 and the rest of remaining portion of the book of Romans, we need to keep in mind what we have covered over the last year and a half. What we've looked at over the last year and a half. So when Paul's writing all these things, he wants us to consider those things that he's already said and apply these things that he's giving us in these upcoming chapters and in this verse tonight. Paul has laid for us in chapter number 1 through chapter number 11, Paul has laid for us a solid foundation. A lot of people may say, I want to build something. I want to build a structure. And... I want to be concerned more so with what that structure looks like, what the appearance of it is. I want to have a great appeal to everyone else. I want when they drive by, I want people to see my house and say my house is so much better than everybody else's house. And a lot of people get concerned with that 
and don't get concerned with having a good foundation to set that beautiful mansion upon. Uh, and that's where they mess up. That's where people, that, that is the reason there is false teaching. That is the reason there is false doctrine is because they forego that solid foundation to have something erected that is beautiful. But if it does not have a solid foundation before very long, you're going to see the cracks in it. You're going to see the fallacies in it because it is not sitting on a solid foundation. And that's what Paul has given us in the first part of the book of Romans. The Mormons are reputed for emphasizing their family life. Uh, we want to have this family life, which is a worthy emphasis Nothing wrong with a family life, and, and that's something that should be. The problem is they don't build that on biblical truths. There are things in their building of family life that doesn't have anything to do with biblical truths. In fact, if you go back and look at the history of, and I did some some little bit of a study before we ever went to the out west, I did some study of the Mormons because I knew that we were going to be dealing with them when we went there. And when I began to study them and began to look at them, Brother Ricky, I didn't go to what people said they said. I went to their books and looked at what they said. And part of, and they're, again, once again, they're big on family and they're big on how family should be. Uh, but uh, Joseph Smith and Hiram Smith uh, decided they wanted something a little more than just their wife and so they had a revelation that they could have more than one wife. That's where all of that came from. Uh, so it's not built on a, on a solid foundation. It's not built on something that will stand and before long, as I said, you will see the cracks in it just as any other religion that we find, any other religion that we see that is a world religion that has fallacies according to the doctrine. That's the reason it's important that we, as the children of God, understand doctrine. And Paul does that and does it very aptly uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. He gives us throughout his writings, he gives us doctrine to build what he's saying practical is practical in our life. He's given us that doctrine that we can stand on, that doctrine that we can look at. Uh, we find as we look at this, the uh, entire chapter or the exposition of the two great commandments. If you were to look at chapter number 12, you're going to find out that it's built upon the two great commandments. What are those two great commandments that we find? In fact, Jesus answered that question when he was questioned by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians uh, in, I believe it was Matthew chapter number 22, when he was questioned of those things. He told them what those two great commandments were. To love the Lord their God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their might, and to love their neighbor as their self. Those two great commandments are there, and upon those two great commandments, we can, we can see those played out in chapter number 12 as we began chapter number 12 and began looking at it. 
there are two things that we're going to look at. Uh, the first one doesn't have any subpoints, but the second one's going to have a few subpoints. But there's two major things that we're going to look at in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. The first thing I want us to consider tonight in light of verse number 1 of chapter number 12 is the motive for all Christian living. The motive for all Christian living. Paul tells us what that motive should be. Why do we do what we do? Paul tells us this here in verse number 1 of chapter number 12. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, because of what I've just said, I beseech you, I beg you, what? By the mercies of God. That is the motivation. If there is anything that we key in on as the motivation that ought to drive us to live that Christian life, that ought to drive us to live according to the principles that we find in the Word of God, it should be the mercies of God. That ought to be the driving force as we look at and understand what the Apostle Paul is writing to us in chapter number 12 and verse number 1. And this used to be my grandfather's favorite verse. And the thing that he liked from this verse uh, more than anything else is the closing part which says it is your reasonable service. God is not asking more of us then God has a right to ask. In fact, God is probably not asking all that he has a right to ask. Uh, and that is that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. And I think there's some things in this that uh, is misunderstood many times if we're not careful. But the motive for our Christian living is that we have experienced the mercies of God. Paul once again says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. Uh, he says, therefore, and I've already mentioned, that is talking about everything that he's already mentioned. Everything that you and I know about our salvation, everything we know about the mercies of God that we have seen, and understanding from the book of Romans, as we've walked through it, you and I could do nothing and can do nothing for our salvation. It is of God and of God alone. Our salvation does not exist because we have done something. Our salvation does not exist because we are doing something. Our salvation exists because God made a plan. And God carried that plan out. Amen. And we even see that as we've been going through uh, chapter number 17 in the book of John. But understand that as we look at that, that is the driving force for us to live that life that we should live for the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us can claim that God owes us salvation because we were good or because of our good works, or because any other reason. We cannot claim that God owes us anything. In fact, God doesn't even owe us a breath. 
Not one. But God has given us many. I have taken many just today. I have actually taken many just since we started. I have taken a great deal of breath and all of that breath belongs to God. The Bible tells us it's in God's hand that our breath resides. And God can close that up anytime he chooses. Uh, and, and you and I, uh, there's nothing that God owes us. Paul assumes that he, his readers have taken hold of God's great mercies. When he is writing to the Romans here, and he's writing to them in chapter number 12, and he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He is assuming that the people he is writing to has taken hold of the mercies of God. He is assuming that the people he is writing to are believers. And he's telling them that he beseeches them by the mercies of God that they present their bodies a living sacrifice. That you lay it before God and and tell God, take this and use this as a living sacrifice. He's assuming that they are brethren, all that have, have experienced the new birth through God's Spirit and have been born into the family of God. The proper response to receiving God's mercies is to give yourself totally to God. When you realize and understand and recognize what God has done for you, and not only what God has done for you, but what God has done to you, it ought to be the driving force that would cause us to say, God, here I am, take me and use me. We ought to willingly, and that's what Paul's trying to get people to see and trying to get them to understand, is that we would willingly say, God, use me. God is not looking for us to make some grand sacrifice, some some something that someone will look at and say, "Wow, look at what they did." If that's what if that's what we think sacrificing our life to God or giving ourselves a living sacrifice to God, if we think that's what it's about, then we've missed it. It's not about people looking at us. It's not about people looking at me and saying, wow, that's a great Christian. No, it's about people looking in my life and being able to see what a God. It's not about them seeing that that person is, that person's there at church every time the doors are open. That, that person is, uh, that person is a contributor to the church. That person is a, they're teaching Sunday school and they're driving a bus and they're doing this and they're doing that. That's not what it's about. We do what we do so that others see Christ. And if we do it so that they see us, then we're doing what we're doing for the wrong reasons and for the wrong purpose. God is calling us to be a living sacrifice, to let God direct our life. All that God is doing is the same thing that a, that a, a mother or a father would do for their children. Please listen to what I'm telling you because I know better than you know what is good for you. 
it's almost, it's almost like this. You want your children to listen to you. You want them to obey what you tell them because you have their best interest in mind. You're not wanting them to listen to you. At least it shouldn't be this way. You're not wanting them to listen to you because you want to lord over them. You want them to listen to you because there may be some times along the way when you may call their voice and you need them to stop immediately so that they don't harm themselves. It was almost, and I used to, I used to tell our children when, uh, when, we, when they were at home, a lot of times I wanted them to listen to what I said so to a point that if one day we're out in the wilderness wherever we are and there's a great pit of rattlesnakes that they don't see but I see that is there, I want to be able to call their voice and then stop immediately. Why? So that they don't fall into that pit. That's what it's about. And that's what God is wanting from us as children, as His children. He wants us to obey His voice because He has our best interest in mind. It is, if God did not have our best interest in mind, He would not have displayed His mercies like He has. And it is the mercies of God that drive us to, uh, to offer ourselves a living sacrifice to the Lord. Offer our bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord to be used at His beckoning, at His will, and as what He would have to be. Uh, there is another thing that I want us to look at tonight. Number two, I want us to consider the basic commitment for Christian living is to give your body totally to God as a living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. It's our reasonable service, our reasonable worship of God to give our body totally to God. Paul is using a picture that is instantly recognized by everyone in that day. There were, and, and understand when Paul was writing this, there were sacrifices that were happening. There were sacrifices that were going on. And, and Paul is writing to them and they understand the language in which Paul was writing. To lay that down before God. To allow God to have use of that. The Jews were all familiar with the ritual of taking a lamb to the temple and watching the priest split it, it split its throat and collect its blood in a basin. And after the life had ebbed out of the of the lamb, it was placed on the altar and became a burnt sacrifice. The Gentiles also often witnessed animal sacrifice to the gods of the pagans. Perhaps some of the Roman Christians had done that before they were saved. So they understood the language in which Paul's writing to them. They understood what he was saying. But most of us have never watched those things go on. Most, most of us have never understood what that meant. Uh, we buy our meat in the store shrink-wrapped. It's all wrapped up. We, 
We give very little thought the next time we eat a hamburger, we give very little thought to the cow that used to be walking around. Uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> we had a, a gentleman in our church when we were out west, we had a gentleman that had two, two hens. And those hens he had gotten were actually, had been inbred to be a, a chicken that was going to be slaughtered. And in fact, they are inbred in such a way that, to be honest with you, they grow quickly. And they grow so fast that they come to a point to where their legs won't hold them up. And they grow to that point for slaughter. They've been breeded for that purpose and for that reason. Well, he, he gave us those two chickens, understanding that we wouldn't have them for about two weeks before. But when we got them from him, we wouldn't have them for about two weeks before they were ready for slaughter. We, I, I got those chickens, I brought them home, and uh, they got to the point to where they were so large they couldn't stand on their legs. So you didn't have to chase them around the pen and... I reached over and did like my grandparents did and grabbed that chicken by the head and slung it around about four times and popped its neck and the head came off and the chicken's floundering around and blood's going everywhere. And <laughs> somebody's hiding their face. But <laughs> all of that's going on and all of that's happening. All at the same time, I've got a boiling pot of water already boiling ready for what's about to happen. I take those chickens over to that boiling pot of water and I drop them down in it and I begin to pluck the feathers out of it. And the whole time, Jeffrey and Bradley and Matthew and I don't know whether Andrew and Samuel were out there or not, but they were out there and, and while all of that was going on and I took them in and I took them on the shelf and I, I began to fillet the breast out of them and take the parts out of them that we could use and, and cut it apart and took it inside to eat it. And Brother Ricky, I had to eat them all because nobody else would eat them. Uh, what are you talking about? We, we don't see the sacrifices that are made in order for us to eat what we eat. But those that were looking at what Paul was writing understood what, they, what, what Paul was asking them that they present their bodies a living sacrifice. He was not asking them to be taken up on an altar, to be dragged up on an altar like, uh, like those two guards that I mentioned at the beginning of this. He was not asking them to be dragged up there to have their throat slit, to be slit in half and laid on an altar and burn as a sacrifice. That wasn't what God was asking what God was asking and what Paul was trying to get them to see is God was asking them to be a living sacrifice. He was asking them to place their whole life in His hands. Is basically what He was asking. God was not asking things that were too hard of them. He even tells us that, Paul says, which is your reasonable service. He's not asking things too hard of us. He's asking us, in essence, what God is asking us in this verse of Scripture is God is asking us to rely upon Him to have our best interest in mind. 
That's basically what he's saying. The same thing that a parent would do, listen to what I'm telling you because I have your best interest in mind. Because I know what's better for you right now. I'm sure that my children, I'm sure that my grandchildren, I'm sure that uh, Jeffrey would attest that if you were to just let uh, all of the grandchildren just do everything they wanted to do before long, they would do things that would harm them. They would do things that would bring harm to them. But they have been given a parent to teach them, to guide them, to place things in their life, to place them in places in their life which is for their good. Is that not what he told us before? Is that not what he told us back in chapter number 8? That it was for the glory of God, but it was for our good? We know that all things work together for the good of them who are the called according to the purpose of God. God does what He does. And this is the same principle that we're seeing in chapter number 12 and verse number 1. That God is asking us to basically place our life in His hands. That's what He's asking. He's not asking for you to be some, some what we would look at as some great Christian that does great things because He sacrificed this or He sacrificed that. That's not what God's talking about in this passage of Scripture. What God is talking about is placing ourself, our entire person in the care of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what He wants. And that is for our best. Uh, it's not as though God is saying, okay, now because I'm asking you to be a living sacrifice, now I want you to quit this and quit this and quit this and quit this and start doing this and start doing this and start doing this and start doing that. That's not what He's talking about. He's asking solely that you place yourself in His care. Basically, He's telling us, don't be stubborn and stupid and, and ignorant and go your own way and do your own thing. Let me guide you. Let me direct you. And in my direction is your good. In my direction is your best. In my direction, in what I'm telling you, He's telling you that if you'll listen to what He says in the Word of God, it is to your best interest. It is to your good in order to do that. Paul was using a picture and they understood that picture. Understand, I want us to consider five aspects real, real quickly in light of the commitment of the Christian living to give our bodies totally to God as a living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. There are five things that I want to give you real quickly and I promise I won't belabor these very much. Consider five aspects. First of all, this commitment is an act of the will. It's what God's asking us in this verse of Scripture is our willingness to allow God to use us. Understand this. God can do anything with us God chooses to do. And if we choose to buck the system, 
and we choose to go our own way and we choose to do our own thing, God will correct us. But even in His correction, His correction is for our good. Understand that what what Paul is trying to get us to see here is God is wanting us to be that child that is willing to adhere to what God is telling us. God knows and Paul is trying to get us to see that it is for our good and if we could recognize that, you and I would willingly. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present, that ye present, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. That you're willing to give yourself over to the mercy. How could we not? How could we not be willing to give ourselves over to the mercies of God. God is not asking of us something greater than we, can, than we can give. And once again, he tells us that by its our reasonable service. He's asking for this commitment to be an act of will. It isn't automatic. Just because we get saved, just because a person, and this is where we misunderstand things sometimes. Just because a person gets saved, that does not automatically mean that the next time they come to church, they're going to look like you look. That does not mean that the next time they come to church, they're going to do what you do. It does not mean that they will ever do what you do. It does not mean that they will ever look like you look. It means that they're saved. They're in Christ. And Christ, through His sanctification, works those things out in our lives. To be honest with you, you would not be, nor would I be, where I am today if it were not for the mercies of God at work in my life. I, I'll be honest with you. I can tell you probably some of the roads I'd be going down if it were not for the mercies of God. Yes. Why? Because that stuff was inbred in me as a child and I learned those things and I would probably be headed down those roads. Even as a saved person, I'd be headed down those roads if it were not for the mercies of God. And what, what we need to see and we need to understand that this commitment is an act of the will. It is our giving of ourselves unto God for God to use us. Understanding that we're submitting to God's mercies. God is not, God is not some ogre sitting in heaven that is wanting to lord over you and he's wanting to say, now you do what I told you to do. God is wanting to direct us and give us instruction according to His mercies. What we're submitting to is His mercies. We're submitting to His love. We're submitting to His, His great love that He has for us. So understand that it is a commitment as an act of the will. Not only that, but this commitment is both intentional and ongoing. It is both intentional and it is ongoing. And, and can I just stop right here and tell you 
that when I say it is intentional and it is ongoing, do you know what God's wanting? Do you know what God really wants of you and I? He just wants what's ordinary. He just wants what is ordinary. What, what is ordinary for our everyday lives, that's what God's asking. He's not asking us to make sure, and, and, and don't misunderstand, He's not asking us to make sure that we spend four hours in our Bible every day. He's not asking us that we spend 12 hours in prayer. He's not at, and I'm not saying that there aren't people that don't do that. I'm saying that that's not what God's asking of everyone. God's asking us to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, and we're submitting to His mercies. And if we could understand that, it is both intentional and it's ongoing. It is present and it is future. God wants us to submit ourselves unto Him. It's God is wanting that which is ordinary in our lives. God does not look for us to be extraordinary. What makes a person extraordinary is when they submit to God the ordinary. I've been reading a book or looking at a book that is called Ordinary. And in that book, almost every chapter, just uh, Jeffrey and I were talking about it. Jeffrey's already read it and actually recommended it to me. In reading that and looking at that book, it is astounding at how God is just wanting the ordinary. He's just looking for our everyday life, Brother Ricky. He's not looking for us to be extraordinary. Because if you and I become extraordinary in our own sense, then we're taking the glory from God to begin with. So God is asking us to be ordinary and God takes our ordinary and makes it extraordinary. And that's how things happen. So God is not asking us to do some great unfounded thing that nobody else in the world has ever known so that when you and I die, everybody will know our name across the face of the earth. Do you know what it is my job to do as a child of God? My job is to live and breathe. My job is to love God and enjoy Him forever. My job is to live, love God, and die and never be known by everybody else. Amen. Amen. But it's my job that in that life to make Christ known to everyone else. That is what God's wanting. That is the direction God has for us. Not only do we understand that the commitment is an act of the will, not only do we understand that a commitment is, the, is both intentional and ongoing, but this commitment involves our body. We, I, don't, I don't have any other way to serve God except in this body. That is, that is my mode of service to God. That is what I can offer to God to give. 
And, and it is our body. It involves our body. And Paul also uses the word present uh, or present in connection with our bodies. He, uh, he uses that. He actually uses that back in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 13. In our text, Paul may be using bodies to refer to the total of our person. He's asking us to totally give ourselves over to Him so that God controls us. Do you want to be Spirit-led? Do you want to be Spirit-filled? Do you want the Spirit of God to use you? And we looked at this this morning. What is the Spirit of God going to use us for? The Spirit of God is going to use us to bring glory to Christ who in turn passes that glory to God. It's that God gets glory. And God uses our bodies for that. Our bodies is the means in which God uses us to serve Him to live for Him, to be that sacrifice for Him. Not only that, but this commitment is a living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice. It's a living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice. There's a paradox here. In the presenting of our bodies to God, it is a positive thing. Just as a bride presents herself to her husband, we're presenting ourselves to God. That is, there's no wonder that God uses the, the analogy many times of a husband and wife when he talks about our relationship with him. It is our presenting ourselves to him that we may that we may follow His leading, that we may follow His direction because God knows what is best for us. Understand this, and I, this is the last one I'll give you. Understand this commitment is your reasonable source and service of worship. This is our reasonable sur- source and service of worship. In light of what God has mercifully done for us, it is only reasonable that we should give ourselves totally to Him. It's just reasonable. And that's what Paul's saying. Once again, and I, I know that I've said this over and over tonight, but God is not asking something extraordinary from us. That does not mean that God will not allow us to do something extraordinary. But God is not asking us the extraordinary. God is asking us the ordinary of our everyday life. And in doing so, Paul is telling us that is our reasonable source and service of worship that we give to God. Understand it is reasonable that we should give ourselves totally to Him. In conclusion this evening, as we look at this passage, at this verse of Scripture, we are not our own. We are bought with a price. We do not belong to ourselves. Therefore, who are we to tell God what we are going to do or what we're not going to do? 
Should God ask us to do anything that is extraordinary? It is because God has used our ordinary to make that extraordinary call in our life. Understand we are not our own. Let us not, let, let not our reason nor our will therefore sway our plans and our deeds. It should not be that we do what we do because that's what we want to do. But we should want to do what God asks us to do. Because God is going to ask of us only those things that are good for us. We are not our own. Let us therefore not set our own goals to seek what, we, what is expedient according to our flesh. We are not our own in so far as we can. Let us therefore forget ourselves and all that is in us and submit ourselves to God. We are God's. Let us therefore live for Him and die for Him. We are God's. Let, uh, let His wisdom and His will therefore rule and reign in our lives. We are God's. Let us therefore allow God to pay, make our lives part of His service part of what He wants for us. Have you and I experienced the grace of God? Then God calls for us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. David Livingston put it this way, Forbid it that we would ever consider that the holding of a commission from a king of kings, a sacrifice. So long as men esteem the service of an earthly sovereign and honor. And what David Livingston was saying is this. So long as men on this earth would consider it some great and wonderful thing to be called on by the President of the United States to do something. How in the world could we ever look at God, the King of kings, the Sovereign of sovereigns, the Lord of lords, and question what He would ask us to do? And again, God, I promise you, in light of Scripture, God is going to ask you for the ordinary which God may turn into the extraordinary but what God is going to ask you is ordinary. How do we know that? Because Paul said it is your reasonable service. It's our reasonable service to submit ourselves to a holy God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Scripture. We thank you for the truths of Scripture. Lord, I ask you 